great to be here this morning. My name is Selma Chan. Am I on? No. Okay. Um, this is on. It's muted. All right. How about now? The mute light went on and off. Uh, okay. Well, should I should I use a different mic? We're on. Good. You can hear me. All right. Yes. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Isn't it so good when tech works? These things that are supposed to help us, and they usually end up taking us more and more work. Uh, but it's wonderful when it, when it does work. There's a bit of a raspy, lispy thing happening. Should I just preach without using an S? See if I... <laughs> wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be great? Uh, I... No, I don't know how to pull that off. Maybe Rob Balfour can do it, but I can't do that. <laughs> I use S's. All right, so my name's Elmer Chen. I'm from Calvary Church in Steinbach. I'm an elder there, and uh, great to be with you again. I think I've been, I was looking back at old sermons, and, and I can't believe I've been here, what, four times? It's, it's so hard to believe. Uh, but, uh, hey, you're my friends <laughs> and uh, your family, and it's just great to be here. I, I actually have my family here with me. Uh, I don't know when the last time was that my family actually heard me preach. I think they've been avoiding. Oh, I wasn't supposed to say that. <laughs> just got to slip that. It's not true. Uh, but uh, my wife, Carlana my son Josh, and my daughter Jayla, and can you believe it, they're 18 and 16. Not my wife, my, my son and daughter. <laughs> uh, yeah, it happens. They just grew up in a blink of an eye, and hey, before you know it, Jesus is back, right? Isn't that how time goes? Uh, I, uh, I wanted to say as well, I realize you are in a time of transition. Uh, and you know, I, I was so glad that we, we sang that song, Same God, because he is the same God who walked with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. He is still here. The same God who walks with us at Calvary is the same God who is here at LCF. He is the one who's at work here. The same God who walks with me through all my ups and downs of life, believe me, there are lots of ups and downs, and you know it, he's the same God who walks with you. Isn't it a comfort? And we're still here after all this. We're still here and alive and breathing and, and worshiping Jesus and following him. We're so thankful. He's here with us. His spirit lives in us. And, and God is at work here at LCF. 
And, and so can I encourage you, just, just keep following. Live faithfully. Live faithfully. Day after day after day. Worshiping him. Loving one another. Loving your community. All right? Just be faithful. How many of you are... Actually, let's, let's pause and pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together in your presence this morning. Thank you for this church that you have placed here at Landmark in order to show your glory and to testify to Jesus and to make disciples and to bless this community. Lord, I ask your blessing on this church that your grace would carry them through this time of transition. Will you give wisdom to each one here and to, to their elders and leaders? And we ask that you would provide all that they need. And Lord, I pray that they would live, live each day filled with the peace and the joy that is in Christ. Lord, will you guide us through this time together? Will you give me grace to speak faithfully? And we ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work among us to bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. How many of you here are longing for heaven? I mean, (laughs) is that too obvious of a question? No, if you could just at the snap of your fingers, uh, just be there, fast forward in time to that place when you're face to face with Jesus, when all your troubles and, and, and all your tears and sorrows and, and all death is behind you and all pain, wouldn't that be so good? Are you longing for heaven this morning? I think this is really good. This is really healthy. And, and sometimes, sometimes hardships and sufferings can, can bring that out in us, right? It can jolt us awake <laughs> and, and say, hey, like this, I might have it pretty good in some ways, but really this, this place really stinks. <laughs> it does. It reeks of sin and death. And, and I can't wait till Jesus comes back. This is what we're made for. And I want to speak to you this morning. I've titled my message, How to Live the Heavenly Life. Now, this is a little bit misleading because the connections here are not obvious, but, but just bear with me. You go, Psalm 15, that's not about heaven. <laughs> well, just bear with me. Uh, let's, let's read this psalm. Psalm 15, a psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. 
who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. How to live the heavenly life. Uh, this connection, you know, the, the psalm is mostly about righteous living, isn't it? Especially righteous living in relationships. Um, but this connection between heaven and righteous living isn't, isn't always so obvious. Uh, but it's important, it's, it's a really important one to make. Uh, you cannot live a life of rebellion against God and hatred against God uh, and, and, and still expect to enjoy the, the manifest presence of God. You can't be saying to God, hey, I don't care about you. I don't care about pleasing you. I don't care what you say. I'm doing my own thing. I'm going my own way and still uh, uh, expect to, to experience God unhindered. Right? It, when, we're, when we are mistreating our neighbors uh, with malice and hatred, lying and cheating and oppressing, like some of these things are going to get in our way. And if you want God's favor we begin by doing what is right. We begin by doing right. This is, uh, we, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit away, as Paul says. Okay? If you enjoy God's presence, if you enjoy, if you love this intimate fellowship that you have with him, don't let sin disrupt you. And I assume I'm speaking to Christians here. If you're, if you're not a believer, hey, God loves you. The way in is, we're not talking here about how to get saved. That's not what, we're not saved by works. That's not what this is about. But uh, we're talking about enjoying this intimate communion, this friendship with Jesus, Right? So this psalm, uh, this psalm is sometimes considered to be some kind of an, an entrance um, liturgy, you know, before you go into the temple of God to worship, or, or as you go, uh, this is kind of the, 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 one of the beginning psalms that, that might usher you in, or, or perhaps it's a, a reminder that if you're going to go into God's presence, like examine yourself. Examine your heart. Make sure you're ready uh, to encounter God. Um, another, uh, others have considered this to be a wisdom psalm. It's about how you live well, how you live right to please God. Uh, but uh, it could be a combination of the both, of the two. I picked up such bad verbal habits. Combination of both. Uh, all right. Um, so let's, let's look at this. Verse, verse one, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Verse one is about who gets to live in God's presence? Who gets to walk in the light of his presence? And, and it is 
And, and, and so here's the big question. How can I come and commune with God? Uh, who can sojourn in your tent? The tent, of course, refers to the tabernacle. It's a portable temple, all right, that they built in the wilderness when God rescued them out of Egypt, and it, it went around with them. Uh, it carried it wherever they go. It went into the promised land, and then uh, it was at Shiloh, and then when David conquered Jerusalem, he set up his capital there, <clears throat> and he put the, the tabernacle there uh, on the hill. And so, uh, and hill Zion, Zion is kind of an amorphous term, basically, you know, because at first it, it referred to the uh, to the city of David, the fortress. It can sometimes refer to the Temple Mount. But in any case, it represents the place where God reigns, the place where God's, God rules. Right? His tent, his tabernacles, that, that's the, the throne room of God. This is his palace. This is where God reigns. And so who gets to be with God? Uh, in Christian culture, we often talk loosely about heaven, as our eternal home, right? Uh, and uh, so I began by, by asking you, do you, are you longing for heaven? Well, heaven, uh, biblically speaking, simply means up there, <laughs> all right? God created the heavens and the earth. The earth is down here. He's up there, we're down here. He's God, you're not. Let's get that straight, right? Our, our culture needs to get that straight. <laughs> but he's in heaven, and we are in heaven. Uh, and, and so, when when we when we come to the very end, and Jesus returns, in Revelation twenty one says there is there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Right, our eternal home is right here on earth, the new earth, the new creation. All right. So when we talk heaven, we're, we're speaking very loosely, uh, not in biblical terms but it's okay, we, we get away with it. Um, we know what we're talking about. But the definition of heaven is the presence of God. This is what heaven means. And you have heaven in your heart. You know that old song? Maybe it's too old for some of you. Heaven is in my heart. Uh, it's true. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Heaven has come to live in us. And one day when Jesus returns, heaven invades the earth and, and all the world will be filled with heaven. This earth will be filled with the presence and the glory of God. All right? So that's, that's what we're looking forward to. And, and so, you know, if you don't like being in God's presence, if you don't enjoy prayer and, and worship, if, if this stuff is just, well, you're going to be really bored in heaven. <laughs> All right, you better, you better learn to enjoy it now. Learn, learn to enjoy him now. You were created for that. Uh, but, you know, we've already been gifted with this treasure. God's Holy Spirit, God's holy presence living in us, in you and me. And you don't want to take this for granted. Imagine two friends walking in a field and one picks up this big shiny piece of stone and says, oh, hey, look at this cool piece of stone. You know, it's shiny. It's like 
I've never seen a, a hunk of glass this big. And he chucks it, and his friend picks it up behind him and says, hey, I think this is a diamond. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, one way to find out. And, and he takes it to the jeweler, turns out to be uh, one of the world's largest diamonds, and he's an instant billionaire. Can you imagine being the guy who throws it away? Can you imagine being the one who holds one of the world's most precious gems and, and, and throws it away? You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy. You have the Spirit of God living in you. Treasure it. Treasure Him. His presence. Finally, being home with Him. I hope you are longing for that day. So the psalm asks, who gets to live in the presence of God? And the psalm outlines this, uh, you know, goes through all these um, all these uh, characteristics about the righteous life as the foundation, the, the righteous character as the foundation for life, for a life with God. Do you want a God-filled life? Start here. Well, if you don't know Jesus, start by repenting and coming to Jesus. But, but as a Christian, this is where we start. This is... This is uh, a biblical principle, an Old Testament principle that's often neglected. And, you know, when we talk about presence, here, let me, let me clear up the connection for you. When, we talk, when the Old Testament talks about the presence of God, when we talk about seeking God's face, all right, God's face, literally, his presence is translated from before his face, in the face of and what it means when you're seeking his face is that you are seeking his favor. You're seeking his favor. Do you, do you want the presence of God? I, I want to know the favor of God. I want to know his smile upon me. This is what they mean when they say that you're seeking his face. And so, and so it is the righteous who pleases him. So, Verse 2, he who walks blamelessly does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. You want to, how do you live the heavenly life, the God-filled life? Be blamelessly benevolent. How do you like my alliteration? <laughs> how to live the heavenly life? Be blameless. Yeah, I, I don't do this often, so enjoy it. You know, you <laughs> this is poetry. You have dad jokes, you have dad poetry. All right, so consider this my dad poetry. All right, so be blamelessly benevolent. He walks blamelessly and does what is right. In the Old Testament, righteousness is relational. It's about doing right to your neighbor. Giving your neighbor what is due to him or her treating one another rightly as they deserve. Are you fair and are you honest in all of your dealings? 
I have to admit, you know, Caroline is the trusting one between us, and I'm the suspicious one. You know, when we're dealing with, with, you know, when we're hiring people, when we're buying stuff, when we're, you know, we 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 have some contractors working on our house, and and something that some, you know, one guy said the other day made me go. All right, you said that just to jack up the price. <laughs> That's just how my mind works. Sorry, <laughs> it's just how my brain works. Uh, but. We, we want to be right and just in our dealings with one another. Okay? Uh, we're called to this. Uh, now, as we look throughout this psalm, we might think, well, okay, this is all about, about being righteous in, in our dealings and about our words and about money, but what about sexual immorality? I mean, Paul denounces sexual immorality, top of his vice list, most of the time, and so why isn't it here in this list? Well, actually, do you know that every single act of sexual immorality is actually an, a form of injustice? In fact, I, I think this is why it's so wrong. You take a person created in God's image and you reduce them to an object to be used for your own gratification. In adultery, you violate your covenant, your promise, your solemn oath that you've sworn to your husband or wife, and you, and you violate that covenant. You cause someone else to do the same. Adultery is grossly unjust. In fornication, you enter into intimate relations with another person so that your souls are deeply bonded and, and in your hearts and your emotions, you, you assume that this person is going to love you forever, and then you rip it apart. Two hearts bonded together, torn apart. And what kind of damage does that do? It is unjust. In pornography, you objectify this person, this human being on the other side of the screen who is someone else's daughter. Right? And, and it distorts your view of human beings. It, it distorts your view of the opposite sex. It distorts your view of sexuality itself, which God created to be holy and sacred in order to create and to bond the family unit together. And on the other side of the screen, pornography is just another form of prostitution, isn't it? Uh, you either take someone, advantage of someone who is poor or you abduct someone and degrade them against their will. In, in the very least, you objectify another person. And so I'm saying every form of sexual immorality really is a form of injustice. And God hates it. But the righteous man, the righteous woman is the one who does what is right, who treats their neighbor rightly in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. The last line of verse 2 says, uh, and speaks truth in his heart. There's a, a similar phrasing to, to Psalm 53.1 where it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. We speak lies 
in our hearts and we, we get ourselves into trouble every time we speak lies in our hearts. All right? And, and the fool in Psalm 53 is the one who speaks lies, who embraces the lie, and as a result, commit all kinds of, of gross sin. And, but here, the righteous speaks truth in his heart. But here's another angle. What do you say in your heart about other people in the midst of a conflict? What kind of things do you say to yourself in your heart when you're angry, when you're offended? Do we, do we have a tendency to, to start degrading them in our hearts? Don't we do this? Oh, so-and-so is such an evil schemer. They're out to get me. Can't trust the word they say. You know, we, we want to cast people in a negative light. We want to think the worst about them when we're angry. And, and yeah, I, I understand this. You know, it, it makes us feel better for a while. But every time we embrace a lie, uh, we start spiraling downward into this deep, dark pit. Self-deception. You always end up a loser when you embrace the lie. We destroy our own souls. And so, church, I, I want you to commit yourself to speaking truth in your heart, to speaking truth about God, to speaking truth about others, even those you don't like. Can we learn to do this? Can we learn to do this? Paul lists the belt of truth as the first piece of the armor, right? Yeah, we want to learn to embrace the truth. You know, within the past few weeks, I've had to work through uh, a couple of conflicts with, with two other Christian workers. Both of them were coming at me with some anger, with some accusations. Um, some psychological daggers. Those things hurt. <laughs> Sometimes words can hurt, right? Uh, it can hurt to, to have mean words spoken, to have false accusations, to, to have people attribute evil motives and intentions. Um, sometimes people think they can read your mind. Sometimes we think that we can read other people's minds. Anyone ever done that? <laughs> it's very, very dangerous business. And wouldn't it be better as Christians living in community to give one another the benefit of the doubt? Wouldn't it be better to take each other's words at face value unless we have some reason not to. Now, I, I realize that as you're going around, you know, dealing with people in the world, there, there are times when, when people really can't be trusted, but, but especially in Christian community, can we learn to trust by default? You know, I was in a group of, of, of leaders, and, and there was a, 
new uh, person coming in who was going to be leading us as a group, and and someone voiced, or someone started asking some questions about what you believe about this and that, and and and, and basically and expressing, well, how can we trust you? And that that started some pretty interesting conversations around the room. <laughs> and and I just felt so wrong. It's like, come on. Do we have reason not to trust? I want, and I, and I said this to him, I, I want to trust you by default. I think this should be the default mode in our hearts as Christians towards one another, right? And yeah, I, I know we've all been hurt before, right? We've been wounded, we've been disappointed before, but this new guy is not to blame. So can we learn to trust by default? Well, in the midst of these uh, situations I was in, I, I chose not to fight fire with fire. I chose not to fight at all. Because you know what? Paul says that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You know what that means? It means this person staring you in the face is not your enemy. Right? You're fighting against spiritual powers here. And this person staring you in the face, however they might be behaving, that's not your enemy. They are either your ally in Christ or they are your mission field. All right? And so how can we work towards peace? How can we work towards healing? Even even in the face of a hostile. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Are, are we called to be peacemakers? Church, it is better to be sinned against than to sin against another. It is always better to be wounded than to be the one wounding someone else. Can you accept this? I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But, but can you testify that this is true? That this is God's truth? That we're called to embrace? That, that it's better to be sinned against than to sin. But don't be a doormat. <laughs> there are times to walk away <laughs> from, a, from a nasty situation. Uh, so, When we think about, okay, let, let's move on. Uh, verse three, who does not slander with his tongue, who does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Whether you tend to be passively aggressive or actively aggressive. Should we take a, no, let's, <laughs> we won't take a survey here. But 
but whatever your style is, don't do it. Don't do it. We're, we're called to love. Jesus says, as you've done it to the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. And so uh, we're called to, to treat one another with respect. Every human being you come across, how can I treat this person with respect? Can LCF be known as the loving church in Landmark? Yeah, I know there's been a history of church splits and divisions and, and infighting here, but can, can Landmark Christian Fellowship be known as the loving, forgiving, compassionate church, the gracious church, the kind one, the light in the world? How to live the heavenly life. Uh, be blamelessly benevolent. Number two, be tenaciously true. I told you I was a poet. <laughs> be tenaciously true. Uh, verse uh, four, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. We, we love the things that God loves. We hate the things that God hates. Isn't this part of, of what it means to become Christian, to become Christ-like? The true measure of your spiritual character is the direction of your desires. What do you love? What do you desire? If you want to know the condition of your heart, look at that. What do you love? Now, we want our hearts, our values, to line up with God's. We want our passions to line up with His. Now you might say, oh wait, but uh, I have a problem here, despise. In whose eyes a vile person is despised. We don't want to despise anyone. Well, that, that might be true. Uh, that might be true. Uh, you know, we want to remember here that David, the king of Israel, is writing this, and, and he had a responsibility to maintain justice and peace in his land, to rescue the righteous, to punish the evildoer, and he had to rule justly. That was his job. But you're not the king of Israel. Okay? Uh, but even in your own context now as a citizen, think about this. Wouldn't you prefer Queen Elizabeth II over Adolf Hitler? Anyone disagree? Don't flap your hand. <laughs> wouldn't, you, wouldn't you prefer uh, Winston Churchill over a Joseph Stalin? Right? I hope so. Nelson Mandela, Mao Zedong, founder of the Communist Party, Chinese Communist Party. I hope you know to love what is good and right and to hate what is evil, all right? So uh, he goes on, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. This is integrity, that you keep your word 
even when it hurts. You make a promise, and even though it costs you more money, you keep your word. Though it costs you more time or energy, you keep your word. It is inconvenient. Though it costs you pain and emotional energy, you keep your word. Assuming that you're not sinning in, in, in doing it, right? Sometimes, if you make a, a wrong promise, and, it, and you're gonna sin against God in keeping it, well, the promise was a sin. And you need to repent of that. But, but most of the time, uh, assuming it is a legitimate promise, we keep our words as God's people. Can you be fully trusted? When our kids were still toddlers, um, <laughs> Remember that? And, and we, were, we were thinking about, should we have a third child? Uh, and, you know, as much as I enjoyed having kids, I loved having kids, they were, they used to be really cute. <laughs> now they're just awesome, they're just amazing, but, and cute too. Uh, but we, we were wrestling with, with this and, as much as I enjoyed having kids, I, would, I lived such a busy life. I was always in over my head teaching at the Bible college. I was thinking about going to doctoral studies. I know that it was gonna be a lot, ton of work. And, and I had to ask myself, uh, do I have the capacity for a third child? Can I do justice in giving myself, my energy, my time to really loving and raising this child well? And, and so I, I had to, I was counting my costs. Now, because if I were to commit, a child is a commitment. It's a major project. Any singles we have here, marriage is a major project. <laughs> right? The amount of time and energy and, and heart that we require to give to a marriage. Every child is a major project. The, the time and energy, the heart that, that it requires of you to raise a child. And, and you don't want to, to take that lightly. Now, if I could go back in time, I, I, I think, I mean, having experienced this, I, I'd go for three or four. I, I don't know what, uh, I'd be all for it. But I wanted to take seriously this commitment. You know what, I, I, love, I love seeing Christian families having lots of kids, don't you? By all means, like, come on, populate the world. Be fruitful and multiply. Let's have as many Christian kids running around as we can, I, I love it. But remember, your marriage and every child is a major project. You want to invest your time and your energy into loving and caring for them, right? As they should. This is right. Be ready to pour your heart into each one. This is right. This is just. Don't sell them short. Can your word be trusted? How to live the heavenly life. All right, uh, am I, I, I hope I'm okay for time. No one's falling asleep here. I'm gonna go on. 
for better or worse. Okay, how to live the heavenly life. Be tenaciously true. Be, be blamelessly benevolent. Be tenaciously true. And number three, be utterly unbiable. <laughs> be utterly unbiable. Verse five, the, the psalmist turns to the issue of money. And after all, Paul says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So guard your heart. We want to guard our hearts from being corrupted by greed because we want to become a person who cannot be bought. Who does not put out his money at interest. In ancient Israel, there's no such thing as a bank or a credit union. If someone is poor, uh, if someone runs out of money, you're dependent on your relatives and your neighbors to lend. And, and so lending money is a way of helping someone in need, not a way of making a profit. And this is why God commanded his people, like when you lend out money to your brothers, don't charge interest. It's wrong. You're taking advantage of their poverty, of their misfortunes. Right? And, and so, who does not put out his money at interest? Lending is a way of helping, not a way of, you know, pagans, uh, the pagans at the time, sometimes would charge up to 50% interest. Uh, and perhaps there are a few individuals in our world today who might charge that way as well. But when you charge interest, you're oppressing your neighbor who is poor. Don't do it. So you need to figure out how this applies for you. But who does not take a bribe against the innocent? Uh, here again, the love of money can tempt someone to bear false witness against their neighbor. Uh, anytime you're in a position of power uh, and someone offers you money, watch out. Watch out. We have public figures doing that. Let's not name any names. But it happens all the time in our world. And when that day comes, will you be utterly unviable? Do you have a price tag on you? What would it take to buy your integrity? You know, this story has often been told uh, many times, many farms, many people about this man who, rich man who propositions a woman you know, who happens to be sitting next to him on the plane and he asks, will you sleep with me if I gave you a million dollars? She thinks about it for a moment and says, yes. And so then the man says, will you sleep with me if I gave you $10? And she says, she, she's offended what kind of woman do you think I am? And he says, well, we've already established that. We're just haggling over the price. Do you have a price tag on you? Can we decide to be utterly unviable? Money is a servant. Don't let it become your master. 
how to live the heavenly life. If you want God's favor, start by doing right. One, be blamelessly benevolent, be tenaciously true, and thirdly, be utterly unbiable. And he ends, he who does these things shall never be moved. Isn't that a good promise? And it reminds us of the way Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount, right? The, the wise man who builds his house on the rock, he who hears these words of mine and puts them to practice. It's like the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. Build your house on the rock. Become utterly unmovable. Don't let anything stand in the way of your communion with your Lord Jesus Christ. You're blessed with his presence living in you. Think about who gets to be friends with the creator of the universe, the, the king of all that is. You do. Don't, don't let anything disrupt your friendship with Jesus. Enjoy his presence. Enjoy his favor. And be blessed. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word, your holy word. You love us and you teach us. You love us and you discipline us. You love us and you point the way forward. And so I, I pray that you would bless Landmark Christian Fellowship, that you bless this congregation, that you give them grace to live lives of integrity, to live righteous lives that bless the world and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.